It was Tuesday evening, and I was in the car on my usual trip up to the church for men's group. The days have been getting shorter, and the sun was ducking out early like a parent leaving work in order to make it to their kid's soccer game. It's November in New England, and I was finally able to move my lips again as my face thawed from the cold. I arrived at the church, and, after our usual preliminary banter, the men and I began to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. One brother brought up that undying struggle we all have that I will call Christian karma. You may very well know this phenomenon in which we find ourselves constantly striving to earn God's favor by our own merit. We subconsciously think that if we are good, no evil will befall us, and likewise that if we mess up, we will surely be punished in equal measure to our sin and lose whatever good standing we had worked our way up to with God. In a very real sense, when we do this, we are viewing ourselves as gods. Much like your annual flu shot with qualifying insurance plans, Medicamento Mori is free of charge and no appointment is necessary. If you would like to refill your inbox with future posts, please consider becoming a free or paid subscriber. I say that we view ourselves as gods because of how we naturally and naively imagine that we are in control of the world around us. You may have heard it described how we are unable to even control our heart's beating, but there is so much more to this world that is completely beyond our control. We subconsciously expect that we will always have tomorrow, that food will be available, and that we will not get hit by a bus. In our minds, we are gods with a wide scope of power and influence on the world around us. We may impose our will as we please, and the only thing that can stop us is another, more powerful god. Though we may consciously recognize that there are many powers greater than ourselves, we subconsciously persist in our ignorance. When we do this, we are viewing the one true god, the triune Christian god, as a small, weak god. As another brother at my men's group put it, imagine that from all eternity past, God had ordained that you would receive this great reward, and yet because you slipped up and said a curse word, you have thwarted his plan and he can no longer give you that reward. What a small God we must believe in if that were the case. It is true that God may punish us for our transgressions, as he did when keeping Moses from entering the promised land, for example. But even in these instances, we are by no means preventing God from achieving his work. God will be gracious to whom he will be gracious, and he will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. See Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, and Romans chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Just as we need to remind ourselves of the gospel each day, we should remind ourselves of God's sovereignty in and over our lives. To quote the prophet Job, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter 1, verse 21, ESV. The scope of God's control is perhaps likewise very well expressed in St. Paul's epistle to the Colossians, where he writes the following of our Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, ESV. While maintaining and not infringing upon God's sovereignty, it is also important to highlight that humans do indeed retain agency and culpability in their actions. We may not be gods per se, but we as believers certainly have the ability to act upon many of our surroundings to achieve various ends. God himself works through us and with us in this great race. See Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. So what about this foolish notion of Christian karma? Job's friends incorrectly asserted that Job's torment was deserved for some direct offense against God. How can we practically work toward diminishing our view of our own scope of power and increasing the scope of power that we attribute to God? We must remember that God works in his own way toward us sinners, and sometimes the greatest punishment for debased behavior is letting us have exactly what we want. We know and trust that God is the embodiment of truth, justice, and goodness, and we can take him at his word. Bad things, even terrible things, may befall the believer in this life, but we may rest on God's word and promises, knowing that our God is for us. We know that it is the hand of God that stays evil, and that it is no accident when bad things are allowed to happen. As Joseph says in Genesis, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, ESV. On the other end of the spectrum, we also know that the favor of God is not something that can be earned by human merit. Peace with God is a gift that only he can provide. God works through means, yes, but it is not merely by the means alone that the end is accomplished. We are not merely given marching orders with an uncertain success rate. What God wills to necessarily happen will indeed necessarily happen, and that is not to be credited to us as having done God a favor. As the Apostle Paul wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, ESV. From this, we may very well deduce that any notion of Christian karma is complete and utter folly. As a brief and necessary qualification, we must not get carried away and go toward the opposite extreme and act lawlessly that grace may abound. See Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. However, we may live in peace knowing that we do not serve a reactive God that is bound to responding to our actions with blessings and curses in accordance with our own actions. We serve a sovereign, all-powerful, proactive God who deals as he pleases with full knowledge of what he has ordained to pass. It is he who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and all-good. It is he who ordains our steps, our breaths, and the beating of our hearts. It is he who ordains the rising and setting of the sun, and he that determines whether we will see tomorrow. We are fragile, fickle, and unfaithful creatures. But God is strong, steadfast, and faithful, and our arrogant failings cannot overcome what God has lovingly and wonderfully ordained. So what does this all boil down to? In one sentence, one could conclude the following. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. Romans chapter 9, verse 16, ESV.